I V M. Here's your smart fact of the day. How much of your time do you waste in meetings? Well, if you're a middle manager, you're going to spend 35% of your work life, especially if you're on a corporate job in meetings. And if you're in top management, well, it's going to be about 50% of your time. Now, with my tone and manner, you probably won't be able to recognize where I stand on this issue. But if I start being sarcastic about it, you will soon understand, you know, that as a gig worker, I don't really hold too much stock in too many meetings. But today, on this episode with me on Smarter with Sid, I want to figure out, you know, how to make meetings better and should we actually have meetings at all and what my stand on the whole issue is. But I'm going to look at it from a different perspective. So let's go, shall we? Let's go. Now, as it often happens, when you're on a holiday, which I am right now, I am on a remote island in Indonesia. It sounds really sexy, but I'm on a remote island in Indonesia and there's this beautiful view outside of my door and I'm looking at the futility of it all, you know, especially when it comes to meetings. And if I am trying to figure out, you know, whether meetings are really worth it, um, And as somebody who's experienced corporate life and as somebody who's experienced gig economy life, I've noticed the stark difference in the two is it it can all boil down to the amount of meetings that you have. Yeah, let me explain this a little. Ever since I've become a gig worker, my amount of time that I spend in meetings has reduced tremendously. Now, obviously, I still attend meetings. There are client meetings to attend. There are planning meetings. There are, you know, things that you have to achieve together. And so therefore you need to agree to some decision. Sometimes you have brainstorms with partners, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll get into the weeds of of all of those different types of meetings. But I think I believe that I have freed up more than half of my time. Uh, from meetings into more creative pursuits or even just me time or even just, you know, living a better life. So why are meetings held and why are they so important? So before I get into, uh, you know, uh, how do you improve meetings and whether meetings are required or not and whether Scott Adams, you know, of Delbert fame is right, I wanted to figure out, you know, uh, whether there is something biological in our need to have meetings. And I wanted to start off with this concept of hive mind. Obviously, hive mind is is critical because hive mind is, uh, as a concept, kind of explains it, right? We are, you know, not just a single individual. We are part of a large collective and therefore we need to get together and go in a specific direction through consensus and through planning and deliberation. And that's why we are greater than individual, uh, individually any, any one of us. And that's, that's the argument. So you have meetings. It, it could be as simple as the fact that biologically we require meetings. We require meetings to connect to a deeper purpose and we require meetings to maybe even uh, remind ourselves of our purpose at times. And we require meetings to uh, feel, uh, you know, uh, that, that we are going in the right direction and, and maybe even feel a little more intelligent about ourselves. And sometimes, you know, um, ideas are not sparked in isolation, people say. And there are a lot of people who get energized with with meeting other people. And 
you know, uh, get get their energy from it and and get their sense of purpose, direction, etc. from it. But I don't know. I'm not too sure about that. See, for me personally, it tends to drain me. And uh, I suspect that it's true for a lot of other people, especially people who are stuck at the other end of the stick in, in the meeting, which essentially means that you're in a meeting which is not called by you. So you don't want to wax eloquent, but some boss or some client or some peer sometimes or somebody does and they're into the depths of their PowerPoint and into the depths of their explanation and you start beginning to wonder what is the real agenda over here? I mean, what are we trying to achieve through the wastage of half an hour or an hour? Are we doing this as a perfunctionary need? Are we doing this because it is required to be done? Or is this like a consensus building thing? Or is this person clueless? Or does this person want to justify their own being uh, in the organization, oh, I had five meetings, so that's why I must be doing something worthwhile. Well, those are certainly true, but slightly uncharitable ways of looking at things. Now, having been on the other side of a meeting like this, wherein you're trying to figure out what the hell is the agenda, I find the Socratic method really useful. And I wanted to share that with you. So, one of the things that I have found out that cuts to the chase when, when you don't know what the meeting is going to be all about, but you're called for it and there are a lot of other people there, I tend to ask this question, hey, so what's on your mind? So when somebody hears this, what's really on your mind? Um, it tends to a, start people because they're not really used to stopping the small talk or waff, waffling all over the place. But when you say, hey, so what's on your mind? You know, it, it cuts directly to the reason why you're having this meeting. And sometimes, you know, even if the person does not know the reason why he or she is having that meeting, it tends to formulate when that question is asked. So I think it's a great Socratic question. Socrates was this philosopher who decided to teach his students by asking questions, right? And a lot of students uh, blame uh, me to use the Socratic method as well, wherein I genuinely think that uh, asking the right question tends to solve a lot more things rather than giving the right answer. But I digress. Let's go back to meetings. If I'm looking at meetings and if I ask what's on your mind, suddenly, you know, things get a little more crystallized. Another really good question that I tend to ask is, and what else? You know, that's a really weird question because when you say, and what else? Uh, after somebody's really spoken their heart out on what's on your mind, um, it is. it seems counterintuitive because you you know, asking that question is going, oh my God, is this going to open up another can of flies and am I going to waste 15 more minutes of my life because this guy is going to now just let loose? Well, trust me, you've lost those 15 minutes in any way because this guy is going to waffle around the place in any case. But if you say, and what else? It's quite likely that you will get a lot of information from that person which you wouldn't have gotten otherwise and you would be in a listening mode because I believe that we tend to mentally shut off when things get boring. And uh, that is when actually we should be paying attention. Sometimes, sometimes maybe it's good to doodle, but sometimes it's good to pay attention. And by asking and what else tends to focus us as well as the other person on bringing out a few things. 
Here's another one and my final one maybe that might help in making a very boring meeting more productive. And that is, especially if it's a a one-on-one, maybe. yeah. And that question is, what's the real challenge that you're facing right now? So what's the real challenge here? Or what's the real problem here? Um, When you ask a question like this, I think that a few things happen. You know, hidden agendas come out. Or sometimes uh, there's a very quick introspection by the person who's been asked this question and they tend to actually zone into uh, the reason why they're having the meeting. And a lot of times the reason why they're having the meeting is to actually figure out what the real challenge is rather than the said challenge. And uh, it tends to make things a lot more easier because, you know, you're bringing stuff out. So it's counterintuitive. My method of having better meetings or shorter meetings is by trying to make them as long as possible. Now, I've learned this with a lot of effort because earlier what I used to do is I used to try having stand-up meetings, you know. But stand-up meetings typically tend to make a lot of people just uncomfortable and, I don't know, feel a little less satisfied. The second is, okay, have focused meetings, you know, but some people find it really difficult to open up within, let's say, half an hour. And a lot of times we don't really understand the purpose of the meeting. Is it to brainstorm? Is it to build consensus? Is it to actually, you know, prove to it that, you know, you're part of the whole system? God knows. But I think that the the trick that I have, not the trick, but rather the tip that I have for you is to try and make the meeting as long as possible, especially when it's going to be a boring meeting. And trust me, it will end up being a shorter one. It might end up actually pleasing you and it might end up being a learning moment, not only for the other person, but also you. Well, I hope you like this particular episode of mine. I'm sure getting a lot of crazy ideas in on this remote island in Indonesia. But, uh, you know, sometimes you need to be a little crazy. And uh, I hope that if you like this episode, you like and subscribe to this podcast of Smarter with Sin. And if you like me, hey, I'm the traveling professor. I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram. And if you like podcasts like these, just go down and figure out what other stuff IVM's got in store for you. On that happy note then, on that happy note.